ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terramaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. And then my dad, I he sold the other two. We actually had built three. One Brett Driscoll rode, I rode one. And then we built one that had an automatic in it and that's what they wanted. So those three dispersed somewhere and I can tell by looking at them if they're ours or not. Um, they had a hollow tube axle, chromoly axle in the back that was all swedged and the hubs were not bolt on. Um, they were actually locked, locked on it, it. That thing was so far ahead of what anybody else had. It was just insane. <laughs> but I, and I never knew what he did with them. I, you know, I went off and doing something. I think I was working in any car stuff and I came back and they were gone. So who knows? But I do That's know they're out there somewhere. I, I think I there's, was a building. Guy, there's a guy named Mike Mike Dunn here in San Diego. I think somehow he ended up with one. I've seen some pictures of it. And okay. I'm almost certain it's one of the, it might be the first one. I'm not sure which uh, generation it is, but um, yeah, they, they sure were incredible. And again, I raced the, the first gen 250R Sam's and even when Honda picked me up. So, you know, it was, I had direct experience to say how awesome that Husqvarna was. Yeah, that was just an unfortunate thing. That was, uh, we want, we were looking to go into production with those things and literally, um, weeks, just a couple of weeks before the deal was going to be done, there was an internal power play in, in, um, Husqvarna and the, the VP was all over it. He wanted it because sales in, in the United States were down and this was something that was exciting and, and they weren't looking to take the, take Honda off the mantle. They were just no. looking to take a piece, just a small piece, not a big piece, because they at that time, they only produced like 14,000 bikes that came to the United States as a whole. So they weren't going to produce hundreds of thousands of bikes into going down the tubes in, in a matter of one meeting. And it was just an unfortunate phone call to get that from from that, those guys. I mean, it, it, you know, we put a, ton, a lot of time and investment into it. And, and it was funny because our approach to this whole thing was to, was to build a race bike that you could use recreationally. And Honda's approach was they built a bike that you could, that was recreational that you could turn into a race bike. Mm -hmm. I kind of liked our version better. I mean, I could just literally matter of just throwing a set of tires on that thing and take it to dunes and I could have a blast. And the other thing that we did is we knew at that time, I think Honda only had three inches of travel. We had six all the way around. We had only shocks, we had only front end. We had everything. And mm -hmm. I remember years later when I was raised, when I had signed with Honda, 
in it, you know, in and in a backdoor conversation with West that he'll never admit to, he told me we scared the hell out of Honda. Because <laughs> Honda, had never had any, Honda had never had any competition that was of that nature, of that kind of a design. It, it just it threw him upside down. And I think possibly in some ways, maybe help push them into, into a bigger and better territory with what they were doing. But um, it was kind of, it was kind of funny to sit there. Yeah. Wes admitting to that. Like I said, he probably will. He, he'll, he'll deny it now, but we were laughing. <laughs> Jim was, I telling what, sorry about that. Jim. Jim was telling me when we were talking before we started recording again about the, the rake on the three wheelers of today versus what, what, where they need to be. What was the rake and the degree on that Husky? If you can remember. I don't remember. I, I, I honestly don't remember. Um, that my dad had a thing for the specifics on how he wanted to do the rake and he wanted a leading axle. And so you were going to run a little bit less rake, I think, than what you would in a regular uh, straight up and down. But I'm I I can't I can't tell you I really don't know I, I mean that was so long ago. Go ahead, Jim. I made a a series of 125 cc race bikes with Kawasaki KX mm -hmm. engines in them, and I kept making them evolve. I even built one that was 200 cc's, and with each generation, we noticed that we couldn't if we went with too much rake, they just didn't corner as well. Mm -hmm. But hmm. when you steepen the rake, it it made it top heavy. So there was a balance we had to meet, uh, and it was somewhere between twenty and twenty one degrees that that front end had to be uh, with a leading axle, and and it made me understand why Honda had the trailing axle um, to to get you know get some of that trail back, hmm. you know. But and that's why the Honda steered so well. I ultimately wound up running a 200x front end on my Kawasaki, um, and and I showed up at uh, an Oklahoma race that, that we were all at, and and uh, Kawasaki invited me into their tent, and they actually took my bike there. Uh, so it was me and Paul Woods, and uh, Jimmy White, and I think Donnie Luce was there too, and um, and everyone looked at my bike. I. I disguised the rims by anodizing them gold, but there was clearly a 200 X front end on mine. And uh, they were not happy about that at all. You know, I'm like, well, God, we got to make something with a skinnier tire. We don't need something with a tire that, you know, that wide in the front, you know, it's, it's only job was steering, you know? So, uh, and it was the only way I could use, get a good, uh, 21 degrees uh, of uh, rake on my front end to where it would stick and I could actually control it pretty well. Tracy, you were already gone from the three-wheeler world when the 200X came out, weren't you? Oh, God, no. I, I rode that 200X for a long time. All right. Yeah, oh, I thought he was. Yeah. If, now, if Tracy, I was to look... look oh, go ahead. I was going to say Tracy raced with Honda until Honda folded up and after 86, I think. He was oh, there yeah, at the so. end. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we ran the 200 X we ran into the, you know, then we went to the, you know, I ran into the two fifties and then I got the opportunity to win the first race for Honda on that, the four tracks. And that was a Parker 400. And it was just by coincidence, I was scheduled to ride the open class on a three wheeler and wax got hurt practicing. 
And I, I, same as you, Mike, I was laying in bed, you know, and Wes calls me and says, dude, change of plans. You're riding a four tracks tomorrow. <laughs> okay. We're in. I said, do I get a chance to ride it? He goes, eh, nope. <laughs> Throw a leg over that dude and have some fun. So, but um, yeah, yeah. Basically till the end. Um, and it was a shame because it's just an unfortunate situation on how all of that transpired and, and, you know, the, the politics and getting involved and it's, it's just unfortunate. Um, and I'm really glad, and I've told you this before, Linder and Dead, you know, I'm really glad that the sport itself has not died and the recreational side of it has not died and that people are still enjoying it because God, Mike, we had a blast, Jim. We, I mean, it was, if we weren't at a racetrack, we were in the dunes or we were somewhere having fun with those things. Oh yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It was a, it was a weird time. I mean, it, it seemed to me like the timeline of the three of us was that I was in it first and then Mike Coe was dabbling in it. And then y- you got in it. And then uh, and Tracy, and then, and and then you two, you two guys took off on a, a long career of, of uh, big desert races. I only did one desert race. I did the Ensenada Grand Prix. Um, and uh, I won that. I actually came second overall to a bike on a one twenty five uh but um yeah you guys did the long the long-term races and were more focused on honda and and uh we were out trying to catch kawasaki's eye before the takatis came out and we we uh we knew they were coming because i was a dealer also so that's kind of how i was dabbling in that world and that's why i was building kx powered three-wheelers back in those days similar to you know your Husqvarna's, you know trying to figure uh, out that good, that good angles of rake and everything else, you know? After the Husky, I think it was after the Husky, um, when the Hondas were out, the, the air-cooled 250Rs, Tracy and his dad built a 125cc by two, the Yamaha. Same thing, man, ahead of its time, trick, mm-hmm. fast, everything. You know, you'd almost like to look at the thing as much as ride it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think okay. Tracy... Tracy won a score races on it. And then when Honda picked him up, then I think he let Leonard, he let, when I say Leonard, I mean, Stevie, Wright. <laughs> Stevie <laughs> Wright, Stevie Wright, ride the thing for a while. I mean, a lot of people rode that, that 125 you guys built. Yeah. Um, Ricky Martin rode it for Smitty for a while too. Yep. And won right. a bunch of races with it. Yeah. And uh, oh, it was, I, it I was ran fun. against, I ran against Ricky Martin. He was on, a 125 Kawasaki at Des Moines, uh, June 6th, 1984. I don't know what it is with me. I remember dates, um, but that's where he was. Um, and, and he was, he was going pretty fast on that 125. So it, it's, it was, um, yeah, the, I think Kawasaki and I think I uh, possibly Honda, I don't know what Honda thought, but they were looking hard at maybe making 125 race bikes. I, I think they thought maybe we would dabble in this. And so there was a few 125 motors being put in uh, Takati frames back in the day. That would have been so cool if they would have taken 125, 250 and 500 CC three wheelers that would have changed the whole dynamic of it. Just like you had in the motocross with a 125, a 250 and a 500. 
Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think a lot of that had to do with what Honda's um, what as an overall scheme that they had. I mean, they they had the the little bikes. They had the nineties and the you know the seventies and things and things like that. And they made a you know they made a business out of the four strokes. Um, for them to go backwards into a two stroke would have been a completely different thing. And I think the way the classes were set up in ATV racing at the time. Um, it was a 200 class, it was a 250 class and there was an open class. So I think that was a business decision on Honda's part. And I'm only guessing at this because otherwise if they thought there was a market there, they would have built it. Yeah. Yeah. You were in with them that well or that tight that you could tell that what they were going to build or, or not build. Uh, you know, I had a, uh, I did have an inside track to it because my contract with Honda wasn't only to ride, but we had a contract to build things for them too. Um, we built a cut. I know we built, I know I built a bike. My dad and I built a bike for Tommy Gann, um, and it, you know, a little bit different suspension and things like that on it when he was running the nationals. Um, and I know in the four tracks when Stevie and, um, I can't remember the young man's name who came after that, but we redid the entire front suspension geometry on that bike that Stevie won that national championship on. Um, so we did a lot with Honda uh, over the years um, behind the scenes. I know they had yeah. HRA that was doing things, but we did a bunch of stuff that nobody really knew about. What about the uh, 125 that uh, Tommy Gain rode at uh, San Jose? Is that the bike you're talking about? That's the bike. That's the bike that we built. Yep. I had an interesting uh, situation with him and Stevie. Both They were both riding those and I had mine. And there was a heat race where we all took off and I out horsepowered him and got into the lead of this heat race. And I went through a turn and got way sideways. Um, not the first turn, one of the infield turns. And I sat back on my back wheels hoping to kind of wheelie it and have the front end swing around. I, was, I tried to take the front end off the, off the ground. And when Tommy Gain collided with me, we had this, our forks hit each other and it was the most bone jarring collision ever. And I looked to my right and Stevie, not Stevie, Tommy had his legs up high in the air. He looked like he was going over the bars and it straightened me out. And we both drag race to the next turn. And I think the fact that I was looking at him caused uh, the distraction to the extent that he beat me to that turn and he beat me in that race, you know, and um, it was, it was terrible, but uh, it, it was my mistake. And, and then later that day, the two bikes, Stevie and Tommy came up with really little tires. They were not as big as the, as the golf cart tires, like we'd been running, they were small. So those one twenty fives could spin and I couldn't do any better than a third against them. I couldn't touch them. Uh, they changed their gearing and I changed those tires and it was, it was over for me. I'll tell you that particular year. But yeah, those, Tracy, those were interesting bikes. On that uh, four tracks when that first came out, actually the, I think the kid you're thinking about, his name was Rodney Gentry. Yep. Yep. He actually, he's he won the title. Stevie didn't win it. Gentry oh. ended up beating him for the title. Okay, because I know what both about, of them, both bikes, both guys had that same front end on their bikes, and I I just thought Stevie had won it. So, what about Meadows? That Meadows kid. There was a Meadows kid uh, that was Jackie uh, Meadows. Jackie. Yeah, Jackie Meadows. That's right. 
I haven't. Yeah, he was he was involved in all that too, wasn't he? For Kawasaki. Yeah. Um, long after my time, I don't even think I was a dealer anymore after that. I had moved on to the jet ski industry at that point. So I actually have seen him a number of times and stay in touch with him on Facebook. He was, a, he was the heir apparent. If the three-wheeler industry or ATV industry as a whole would have, you know, stayed with the factory backing, he probably would have been the next, you know, national champion many times. He was a great rider. Something I, I found I always wondered about, and that is. I guess it was about 86 or so when Barbara Walters did that uh, special on 2020 about the horrors and the dangers of three-wheelers. And 85. So, was it 85? Yeah. Okay, she did it then, and then it took a couple of years for it to fall apart uh, as the four-wheelers came into it. What was the end of it all like? I, I never knew what the end was like because I stopped riding in 85. In fact. Mike was at one of my last races where I collided with a guy named Chris Harold and I hit a crash wall and uh, damaged one of my wheels. And Mike uh, loaned me a couple of wheels and tires to finish the night, but I was just not the same after that. Um, what happened to you guys at the end when the contracts dried up or when, I don't know, did Honda say we don't want to do this anymore? Or how did it end? Well, it, we were down, we were in Tennessee at Loretta Lynn's Dude Ranch doing a um, GNCC race. And we happened to be across the street having dinner when that Barbara Walters episode came on. And we oh. all kind of looked at each other and decided, okay, this is, this is not good. And mm -hmm. literally, we went into our meeting in 1986 for the Baja 1000, our team meeting. And we mm -hmm. were all told right there at that meeting that this was going to be the last race for the team Honda. That it, they had, oh. that Honda had pulled the plug. Wow. Oh, man. And then so what fun. happened to the salaries and the things you were, guys were getting? What well, happened to all of that? The, the team basically, the, the funny thing about that meeting was, is irregardless of you know, what was going to happen in the future. They basically said, you guys are contracted to run this race. So we all ran the race and, um, and unfortunately we had a problem. I mean, we, I think we ended up having an engine problem that was caused by a stator, but we had a two, two or three hour lead on everybody that night. I mean, we, there was a lot of aggression that was going on and that was the year we were going to, to the pause. And I remember I had, the last stint. So I had a 400 mile stint straight and I never even got a chance to get on the bike. Oh, I broke before you got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what happened well, got, to, I've got some to, memories on that, Jim. Oh, okay. Like Tracy said, I actually won the, the motocross race at Loretta Lynn's. It was a, mm -hmm. it was a two race weekend on Saturday. We ran the motocross and on Sunday there was a woods race. And I won the motocross and I don't think I was with dinner with, with Tracy, but I did watch that 2020 show because at the time I thought it was gospel until I saw that episode. But I knew then that after that show that three wheeler racing, as we knew it was going to change. Yeah. And it did, it did significantly. In fact, um, like Tracy said, my, my affiliation with Honda had been souring even at that point to some extent. Um, with just politics, a lot of uneventful and politics I 
could probably take a couple episodes of that show <laughs> to discuss. <laughs> but uh, because of that, I kind of got a little demotion. Well, at least that's what they said because, um, and I didn't never looked at it that way. But Tracy and myself and and uh, Stevie Wright were put together to be the B team for the Baja One Thousand in '85, and mm-hmm. that was my last race for the for Team Honda. And uh, Marty and I think Waxeldorfer and I forget who. Oh, Curtis Sparks was their A team, and they were all with with uh, <laughs> the, you know all the all the money and everything was on them to win, but they broke. And Tracy and myself and and Stevie Wright got the first overall three wheeler in the 1985 Baja 1000. But to then to expand on that, um, I think it was '86. I started racing a quad racer through the entire year in '86 for, and I had a, a parts a pro support deal because they didn't have any factory effort yet, and I won a lot of races on that uh, LT250. Um, DG was my main sponsor at the time and he didn't want to fool around with that that uh, kind of uh, enduro engine that they came with so he he uh, told me to go buy an rm250 which i did he said just put the rm250 in. have your brother put that 250 engine in the quad racer chassis and i'll build a pipe for it and we'll go racing and we did and uh, a lot of people don't realize but you know a lot of those three-wheelers back then the japanese they kind of use a lot of similar geometries so I know on the, on, on the, like the Tri-Z and the Yamaha motorcycles, the 490 and the 250 have the same exact bolt pattern. They'll bolt right in. And yeah. so do the Kawasaki's. The Kawasaki KX500 engine will bolt right into a KLX or KLT chassis. Same. Well, the same oh, was true cool. for Suzuki. So that, that RM engine bolted right in the chain aligned perfectly, the same bolt holes, everything mounted up. The only change you had to make was the the LT had a, a single down tube in the front because the original port was on the side. So Sam just mm-hmm. cut the frame and welded in a hoop because the RM engine had a centrally located pipe. Mm-hmm. Took him maybe half a day to get the engine in there and it took it up to DG and he hand rolled a pipe and hammered it out and put it on there and thing was a rocket. Wow. But, uh, <laughs> So then during the 86 season, I was winning a lot of races on that thing and even raced here in El Cajon in 86. They had uh, Marty Tribes put together a, like a Mickey Thompson series. You remember that? Yeah. I, uh, it was I very actually do. That was very good races. I ended up, I think it was three or four races and I, I won the championship on that. But towards the end of the year, Suzuki was, was putting together, they were going to have a factory team, which they did. And I was in the conversation with that to ride a factory Suzuki, but it was probably days or just a week or so after that Yamaha approached me because they wanted to debut the Banshee at the the 87 Banshee, but they wanted to debut it at the 86 Baja 1000. Like I said, you know, I was fresh off a win with Tracy in 85. They wanted to debut the Banshees and that was, that was the same thing, you know, all hush, hush. They didn't want any word or nothing getting out. And uh, they they probably put on the most uh, lavish um, program that I've ever been involved with to to go race down in Mexico. They had helicopters. I mean, they they went all out. And like Tracy, uh, well, Dean crashed right off the bat. He wanted to start like he always did. So I think he crashed before he got the Ojos Negros really hard, basically trashed our bike. And Honda did have a big lead, but then they broke. and. Uh, 
the Banshees ended up winning. They went yeah. one, two. Yeah. You know, something you mentioned, Mike, uh, was the El Cajon Speedway series. And yeah. um, I showed up there as a spectator one time and you were racing uh, the race there. And I don't know if you're on four wheels or three, but something you did completely impressed me. It was a 20, <laughs> 20 lap race. And uh, and I don't count gears I'm in. I upshift if I need one. I downshift until I run out of gears. I just go up and down and I don't count laps, nothing. I just keep going until I see a white flag. And and something you did, they had a 20 lap race. And then of course you, you were you were winning and then you won the race. And the guy says, Well, Mike, you won won the race today. And you said, Yeah, well, they threw the flag a lap late. That was 21 laps. You were counting the laps. And I was never so impressed with that. I'm like, oh my God, what is he doing his brain when he's riding? You know, that was very I was impressive. racing that Suzuki. I was on that oh, Suzuki. That was- yeah, because I had a, a kind of a bad falling out with Honda at the end of 85. And I knew it even, like you said, after that uh, 2020 show and, and Tracy can tell you, man, there, the depositions and the court hearings uh, all through that that time I knew that three wheeler racing was going to go away. And the, the Suzuki's were, you know, and Honda was coming out with one in 86, the writing was really on the wall. So I got on that, that, that Suzuki right away in 86. And yeah, we had a, a really, really good season on that Suzuki. And I probably would have went with it because they did, you know, had me in their conversation, but they didn't want to do any desert racing and Yamaha specifically wanted to debut at Baja where you know, I had a lot of experience and, uh, yeah, went to, like Tracy said, went back to La Paz, I used to race from Ensenada to La Paz every four years. So I got a couple of those in and, you know, I raced, mm-hmm. uh, I think I raced seven Baja 1000s. Wow. Two on the Yamaha and, um, five with Honda. Well, four with Honda and then one with Tracy as a privateer team on the three wheeling three wheeler. Did you guys ever want to do the Paris to Dakar? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I actually tried that because in 87, in 87, I went, I went and rode for, I signed a contract with Yamaha of Europe and was over there racing all over Europe. And I bugged them. I said, look, let's put something together here. I let's go do this. And they started looking at the logistics and the logistics. It's crazy how much money you have to spend. And then on top of it, it was going to be a crash course in learning how to speak French. Because the <laughs> down there speaks obviously English, and everybody that I would be, I would have been with, most likely is going to be out of a uh, a French company, a French sponsor, and yeah, they just kind of they backed up. I backed up on it, and they they actually did do it. Um, but the kid, and I knew the kid that did it, he didn't get very far. You know, oh. but he didn't have a lot of desert experience or, or even how to put the bike together to make sure it would last, you know? Oh yeah. And so it, 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 it fell apart. And I think they tried it a couple of times and then it, I think that team went off and did something else. And I don't know if anybody else tried it after that. I just, I just kind of stopped watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they, they, did it, they did the Dakar um, thing with, uh, a banshees and, and they had a guy do it with a blaster for a, a few times. I don't remember the exact years. Um, 
And what they would, what, what they were doing at the end of the, the Africa deal is they were taking uh, big street bike motors and putting them in Raptor chassis and they'd linked in the Raptor chassis and put this street bike motor in there. And then they put car tires on the rear. Yeah. And you know, the motor was stock. Uh, they had huge gas tanks on it. And the, the, the guy that did it uh, won a lot of races. Don't, don't, don't think that he wasn't good. It was kind of cobby, but you know, the, the package was, was not a bad deal and it was evolving because more people were getting involved. Raphael Sonic had a couple of those machines. Uh, in 2011, we went there and unfortunately, on the first day, both guys crashed within 10 minutes of each other and put them out on those big motors. Oh. Hey, do you guys still see me or am I gone? You're still here. No, you're there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, something happened on my end. I mean, I can hear you, but I don't see you anymore. We, I, I can see you. Yeah. yeah we can see you just yeah. fine. It's okay. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's uh, something crapping out or something. It's still working just fine, but you probably pushed a button and your wife told you not to. No, <laughs> it just something came up on the screen. And then it, now I'm looking at uh, like, uh, you know, like uh, email stuff. Oh, how old are you guys now? How old is everybody? I'm, I'm 66. Mike, how old are you? 60. I'll be 61. And you're 62. Oh, okay. I didn't know where it, where everybody was, but that's kind of why I, I never got a look. And and my career was ending as as you guys were coming on. You guys were all 25, 26 years old when I was 29 or 30, you know, and and uh boy, 30 is the curse. You people just don't look at you anymore once you go over that, you know. <laughs> so well, back in the day, I agree with that now. You have guys winning races like Bo Barron, the current works champion. He mm -hmm. just turned 40 last year and won the championship. Um, you know, Chad Weenan's in his, in his later thirties and mm -hmm. he's a motocross champion. Uh, so, but it, it, but it was about sponsors too. Uh, you know, in, in, in our day, uh, the larger sponsors didn't want to look at anybody approaching 30 or, or over 30 maybe. And I'm sure that has changed now because there's guys out there that, they went ahead and did it in one, you know? So that's probably why it's like that. Yeah. Well, Eichner was winning, winning championships in his forties, deep forties. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think there's some evolution to it and you, it takes, I think more experience and time to learn how to ride the, the modern day uh, ATVs. Uh, I, I probably with the three wheelers as well. Um, when you transition from the two stroke to the four stroke, a big portion of my younger education was on the two stroke. Um, Mike, mm -hmm. yours was there, Tracy, you, you too, you, Jim, you were, you were there a little bit, but when you transitioned everybody from the two stroke to the four stroke, it in, instantly increased their longevity. Instantly. Oh. Well, we raced both. I mean, when it all started, it was all four strokes. And then when the two fifty R came out, it was two strokes and everything was two strokes for a while. But the 200X was always a four-stroke, and I raced well, that. That was a boat anchor. No. <laughs> <laughs> My dad loves that engine. Don't get me wrong. But you take the modern-day four-stroke engine is so much different than anything 
of that sure. era because the technology. You know what the difference? Go ahead. You know what the difference is of the modern day to the old ones? The difference is that the cylinder is pushed forward like eight millimeters. Well, six to eight millimeters, creating a a different rod ratio. So when it's working, it's got a very good leverage. And when it's not working, it's it's very streamlined and it's it's not over center. And that's something that Honda came up with and made a big difference in four-stroke technology. That well, was huge. You have you have four strokes now that rev uh, Banshee's rev to 10 and the modern day four strokes that we race rev to eleven three. You know? Oh yeah. And mm -hmm. short strokes with a big piston and they just rev to the moon and make all kinds of power you're taking all of that mass uh, mm -hmm. and spinning it at such a high rpm with nikasil hard coating uh solid aluminum cylinders just the, the evolution in in technology i mean i mean tracy you, you raced nascar and, and some of the things that you guys did there you know trickles down to us atv goons and we learn a little bits and pieces about what the technology and the materials that you make these things out of, uh, to dissipate heat, to make them lighter, to make them stronger. Um, and it's not the same world. I love the old school stuff because it was nuclear almost. I mean, that mm -hmm. stuff would just live and live and live. You could treat it bad and it would run. Nowadays, you kind of have to have your P's and Q's together or your bike's going to scatter. I saw something really interesting. There, in the days of the 180cc alcohol bikes, you had to run alcohol in because they would overheat. Um, Ace Williams was experimenting with uh, different ratios of nitromethane in his because there were no rules <laughs> against that at the time. <laughs> And, um, and he was making some hellaciously fast stuff. And I was down at uh, Speedway 117 one night, and I told you this, uh, uh, Lenny, but I was down there and I saw uh, a guy entered with a Yamaha 360 engine in a three-wheeler. And, and uh, Bob Bazile said, uh, well, what do I do with this guy? What class is he in? And uh, Ace and... Um, and, and Dean Sundahl said, put him with us. And first, and there was a, a moment where they all, they all came out of a turn before the straightaway together. And all three of them just happened to punch it at the same time. And those two 180s, Dean's and Ace's, just annihilated that Yamaha 360. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. And as the time went on and Ace got more into the nitromethane, I was in the pits one night and I knew Ace was racing out there and I heard this most unusual pop. I I never really heard anything like that. And, <laughs> and I had time to look up from what I was working on to look out to the track and I could still see the pieces of his clutch falling down from the sky. It <laughs> blew right through the cases and everything. It was, the biggest motor explosion I've ever seen. And he didn't get hurt or anything, but it was, uh, I've never seen anything like that. You know, I think he found out how much nitromethane he could put in alcohol at that point, <laughs> backed off from that point on. But uh, yeah, that was uh, quite something to see. 
Hey, we were talking before uh, the show started, and that that was an awesome story, Jim. Uh, oh, no problem. Uh, Tracy, you had mentioned that right after you got out of uh, racing for Honda, you went into the automotive stuff. I wanted to ask you a question. Did your dad go with you or were you solo on that? No, um, my dad didn't go with me. Um, I went by myself, but it was through a guy that he had gotten started years and years ago in Indy. And he called my dad looking for somebody that, you know, that might be available to help him out just because he had given my, my dad had given him a start. And he goes, yeah, by the way, here, I got one standing right next to me. And I talked to him on the, on the phone and I was literally in my van, loaded my toolbox up and was on my way to Indy the next day. Wow. Oh, how cool. What a change. <laughs> one phone call and it's all, all different, huh? And it's, and it was great because I mean, I, I, I was still dying to go. I was still dying to race. And, and I, you know, I'd given up the bike side of it and wanted in cars. And I just happened to get that um, awesome opportunity at that point and, and took and ran and, and it was fun. And, and I had a really good time. And then towards the end of the season, we started getting rumblings that the sponsorship was going to go away. And it was about that time that um, Tom Hope called me and said, Hey, look, um, Lynn Chinneth is looking for somebody to come out, come and help him build this uh, car that he had a contract with Yamaha for. It was a all-wheel drive um, in four Yamaha engine, four-cylinder engine with this little viscous coupler that you, you could transfer. It was like, it was all-wheel drive. So, I mean, it was great to drive. Um, and they were looking for somebody to come back and fabricate and drive. So I called Lynn and he goes, well, as much as I know about your welding, you're hired. And literally like a week later, the, the whole sponsorship thing kind of left on IndyCar. I, I was back in my van and, and driving home and, and I literally got a couple of days off and went to work for Lynn and we built that car that unfortunately we got down to the thousand. Um, and we had a problem with, uh, it, the whole electronic or the whole electronic fuel system was based on it all had altitude control and everything in it and it failed. So we literally got out of Ensenada and started, and it was Rory, his son was driving at the time, got out of Ensenada, got it up into Los Negros and it just, it wouldn't run. It literally wouldn't run. So it was one of those deals where the Japanese, I mean, we had Jap, with the Japanese there and Mike, you're used to seeing the Japanese at the racetrack. So these guys, I mean, this was their baby. I mean, these guys were engineers that this was their whole deal and it failed. And Oh my God, I thought we were going to have to keep them from jumping on a knife, you know? Yeah. Like, oh my, Harry Carey. <laughs> it's, but you know, the cool thing that came out of that whole deal is, is Lynn kept the contract with Yamaha and Yamaha came to him and said, look, we want to build, we want to build something that's a recreational vehicle. We don't, and, and not a four wheeler. They've already, they had all that. So it was an internal challenge to build something for Yamaha that could be, and I'm going to go with this is, is like a razor and things like that. Um, so Jeff Pology and I were teamed up and, and Rory and, and Lynn were teamed up. Well, the, the, the vehicle that Rory and Lynn put together, and this was all based on a snowmobile engine, looked just like a small buggy. It looked just like a small buggy. The one that Jeff and I built, I remember 
I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, whenever it was that Yamaha came out with their four, their side-by-side, it looked exactly like that thing. And I got on the phone and called Jeff um, Apology and said, dude, is, is that it? And he goes, yeah, they took our project, showed that thing and waited for the right time and brought it back out, you know, redesigned it to a point. But when I saw it, it looked, it, it was so close to what we built back then. It was, it was bizarre. And, um, and, and it, it was kind of, it was kind of cool to know that, you know, we worked on something that was years and years ahead of when, of when it actually hit the, hit the ground running. That's crazy. How'd you go from that, that point to getting, you know, working for, what was it, Hendrix Motors you worked for? Well, I, it, it, my racing career started at that point. When I got back from with Lynn, then I got a call. Um, once we were finished with that project, there really wasn't anything on the horizon. And I got a call from Unique Metal Products at the time. And John Daly and uh, Mike Henderson were starting an IMSA team and they had a car, but they didn't have anybody to work on it. So I went and inked a deal with them and then worked on their cars, built their cars, became the crew chief of the deal and traveled all over the country doing road racing in IMSA. Um, mm -hmm. And then that led to a bunch of other little deals. And um, I ended up back in Indy cars again with Robbie Gordon and then for, for Indy, which ended up working for another Indy car team um, after that. And um, it, it, it kind of snowballed. And then that deal, that connection ended up into me coming back to, there was a, um, a company, this engineer I worked for at that Bradley Motorsports last Indy car deal. The, he and Michael Cranifus had gotten together and they wanted to, to design and build the, an original built Indy car in the United States, other than what Dan Gurney had done and compete against Alara and G force and all that. And I got asked to come back and um, set up and I would had been dabbling in composites. I got asked to come back and set up the composite shop and hire a bunch of guys to build the car. And we brought in a bunch of old Indy car guys and, and got after it. And um, they ran out of money. Literally, after we built the first car, they ran out of money. And uh, I ended up going to work for Robbie Gordon again, um, and this time on his, his, uh, his Bush team. So I ran the um, fabrication shop and the body shop, and, and then that's when my NASCAR career started. And I, I literally just left. And that was back hmm. in 2002 is when I went to work. Are you, are you retired now or looking for your next gig? No, I'm, I'm actually, I'm done with racing. I'm retired from racing. Um, mm -hmm. I am still, uh, yeah, that retirement thing is just a misnomer. Let's just say it's a transition. Okay. I mean, it, I got to tell you, working in NASCAR and in Mike, you know, your, your dealings with Honda and, and big corporations and NASCAR, it, it is great on the outside. It's, but it's like anything else. The more money, the more politics, the more bulls, you know, the more bull crap. Uh, and it's just how much you want to put up with. And after the last 18 years, I've had enough. You know, I didn't want to, they're coming out with this new car and there's a bunch of changes down the road. And, and I didn't want to go through another whole new chapter, a whole new chapter of NASCAR trying to make a new car work and go through the dynamics of that. And, and realistically, this new car is going to put half the, half the working industry out of a job. And, um, and I was safe 
based on the, you know, I had road racing experience. Cause that's what this car is basically going to be. And not many of our guys at Henrik did, but there's this, this whole industry is going to collapse um, on a working level. And I didn't want any part of that. I, I just, I didn't want to go down that road anymore. I mean, I've got a lot of friends that are probably going to be out of a job next year. And, and it kind of, it's kind of gut wrenching that, you know, that kind of a thing can happen, but it is, it's racing. And, and from the owner's perspective, they've got a car that they can put on a track that's going to cost them less money. Um, and then they, they feel like they can put a good show on and that's really what it's all about. And if they can do it, that's great. And, and I have faith that they'll be able to do it. Um, I just didn't want to be a part of it. You know, and, and I've been talking about getting out for years and they offered a deal uh, package to get out and I took it. I was like, all right, I'll go, let's go do something else for the next 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> Sporting clays. Sporting clays is one of them for sure. Oh, God, I love that. I tell you, man, I, I you know, know something, Tracy, uh, I forget I'd tell you at this point is there was a, a guy that worked for me. Now I own a radio station these days is what I do. I've been involved in radio for the last 25 years and uh, mostly doing morning shows or talk shows around the country. But anyway, I bought this radio station 19 years ago and or 21 years ago. And this uh, one of my employees did a show based on car racing and all that. And and he was always looking for guests. And I told him, I know a guy that works at Hendrix Motorsports and he worshiped Hendrix Motorsports. I gave him your Facebook page, you know, I figured he'd friend you and, you know, try to get you on as a guest. Right. And he died. He had a heart attack and he died. The guy never got a hold of you, you know, and it was like shocking for all of us at the radio station. He was a guy in his fifties and uh, 51 is all he was, but, uh, Anyway, just had a heart attack. This was uh, this was about three years ago, four years ago. But it was the craziest thing. He was he was really looking forward to the day he was going to talk to you, and it just unfortunately never happened. And, and the that particular show died with him. So well, I mean, that's kind of how it went. Day, I can't complain. You know, my NASCAR career has been pretty fruitful. So mm -hmm. you know, four championships you know, 50 cup wins, total 70 something wins. So yeah, I'm not, I can't complain. And that's why it, you know, it was an easy transition to walk away. It's like, I'm done. I, I can't, even my entire racing career, I can't fault anything. I I've had, a, I've been pretty lucky, you know, in the people I've met, the people like you and Mike and Jim and, and Leonard, your dad, all the people along the way that helped me in my career, um, it's just amazing the amount of people and friends that I've made in this industry and can look back on and, and, and know that I had a great time. And, and I hope everybody else did, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's been a fun career, you know, so sometimes things end and you've got to move on. Right. Hey, Mike, when you quit racing, where'd you land? Well, you know, to elaborate a little bit on what Tracy said, um, like him, I, a lot of my success was due to the people that I met in the industry with sponsors and, you know, financially with Oakley and CD boots and just a string of outstanding sponsors that I had, uh, DG, uh, Subaki chain. I mean, Del Rey, all very, very, um, generous people. Um, 
you know, I don't make a long story, but when the water cooled ATC 250R came out, the team members like myself and Tracy, we got them a little ahead of schedule. So uh, we got them in the end of 84 before the 85. And, you know, there was never any problems with doing uh, promotional um, ads with your sponsors. But um, for whatever reason, we did this ad and uh, you, Jim and, and Tracy, probably remember it was an uh, ad was what makes the co-show go it was a picture of me sitting on this water cooled bike. And, yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember. And then you, then you opened it up and the next full page was DG makes co-go. And it was, you know, it was cool for everybody, I thought. But evidently, and maybe Tracy, because he was with Honda a little longer, maybe he knows more about what went down. But evidently, that really, really upset the Honda brass. And um, oh no, they felt, they felt that Honda made me go, which, you know, depending on your outlook. But mm-hmm. to sign a contract with Honda, and this had Tracy too, we had, they wanted us to anyway, they forced us that we could not have any outside sponsors. We had to call, or I did, I had quite a few. And uh, for us to ride a Honda three-wheeler in 1985, you had to run Honda line, everything, Honda line, tires, lubricants, apparel, goggles, boots. I mean, everything. So that was a very, very difficult for me. And I, I bucked that system. Uh, you know, significantly. Um, and I, in doing so, it really did hamper my, my, um, season in 85 because, uh, I was really uh, like a man without a country at that point, because I had had such a good relationship with DG and, and all these other sponsors that, you know, gave me performance parts and had very excellent, uh, you know, things that they made, like with Oakley and the CD, everybody's stuff was really state of the art new and the Honda line stuff at the time, to be honest with you, was, was definitely lacking. So there was a very difficult transition and, um, it went throughout the entire year. And, uh, so like Tracy said, um, you know, for me anyway, I was really done with the politics at Honda. Even though I was still competitive, I was winning races. Um, I was like, I felt in the prime of my career. But uh, when they told me after San Jose, that was that was a, another episode too. I could tell you about that race, um, flat track race. But um, my last race for them was the 85 Baja 1000 that I teamed with Tracy. And yeah, I was done and, and I couldn't get out of there fast enough. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate with, with the, the same thing when I went to Suzuki, I was very lucky that all those sponsors were wanting to also get involved with the four wheel ATV because they could see also that that was the up and coming, uh, you know, way to go. And the three wheelers were, were going to be, you know, done. So again, all, all of my sponsors were happy to, to, to still help me out on my four wheel ATV career. But, um, Anyway, that's that's kind of what happened to me. Um, Yamaha was was very good to me. They were probably my favorite sponsor, and I still feel uh, more loyal to them than than any other manufacturer. Um, but they too, when the again, you know, getting back when I was mentioned earlier about Suzuki, had they were forming a team in '87, and they spent a boatload of money. Um, they had Gary Denton and Rodney, all the top talent. Uh, jumped on board with Suzuki 
even my mechanic, uh, Chuck Miller, uh, went to wrench at Suzuki. He became a Suzuki employee and wrenched for Rodney Gentry and Gentry won the title again. It's the first time in 86 on the Honda and then 87, he won it on the Suzuki. And I was with Yamaha and, and Yamaha was doing the same thing. They, they wanted to cover as much as they could. They wanted to do off-road races. They wanted to do short course. So they sent me all around the country, sometimes on a Banshee at 350 and open class. Um, they, a lot of people don't realize, but uh, Mickey Thompson races were very popular at that time. And uh, initially when they first did it in 87, no, well, they'd been doing it for a while, but when they came out with the, the four-wheel ATVs, uh, Mickey had uh, promoted to Yamaha that they would have two ATV races. They'd have a 250 class and an open class. And I remember winning the open class at the Anaheim Stadium on my Banshee, only to find out that uh, Mickey Thompson and his crew decided that they didn't have enough time in their format to have two ATV races. So they elected to drop the uh, open class. And of course, Yamaha didn't have a 250. So they once again got together with people, fabricators like my brother, and we started putting uh, YZ250 or Trimoto engines in Banshee frames to hit the Mickey Thompson races. But again, we didn't go to all of them. It was just, uh, you know, hit or miss. Uh, they, they tried to cover a lot of ground as much as they could. And during the 88th, now 87, Suzuki just had that one-time deal and then they dropped it entirely, completely. They spent a buttload of money. It was a one-year deal. And Yamaha sponsored me through the 88 season. But I think again, you know, since Honda, Suzuki, nobody else was really doing anything at that level. They said, yeah, this is going to be your last year, but they still paid me well. Um, you know, I was still making a good living racing, uh, my Banshee and Tracy, I didn't even know that you, the raced Yamaha's uh, we were kind of out of touch at that point, but it looks like, uh, they also, you know, brought you on board to promote there in Europe. They did. It was, it was kind of an interesting deal. Um, it all started with uh, my going over and doing an exhibition deal over there. And the a guy that kind of promoted bringing guys, you know, Americans over and other guys uh, from motocross and stuff like that. He, he took a shine to me and he goes, dude, I got you a contract. A contract for what? And he goes, you come over here and, and for the next year and write for Yamaha. And I said, well, okay. Yeah. When do yeah. I leave? And then I got a hold of Daryl and Daryl Bassani built an engine for me. And, you know, and I, I literally, I pulled in every connection I had. I had, I got a bunch of Atsu tires and I knew everything that I wanted and, and pulled in everything and, and went over there and ran. Um, and it was fun. We, cause I was the only American doing it. Uh, the attention was phenomenal and the promotion for Yamaha was great over there. Right. I mean, we, 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 we ran one time, we were in Czechoslovakia, we were all over, we were in the south of France doing um, doing a desert race to the wine country, you know, an off-road race that was just brutal. I mean, we got done with this thing and there wasn't, I don't think there was a knob left on my tires. I mean, that's yeah. how hard and, rough and rocky and everything it was. But it that's was awesome. I ended up running into a bunch of guys I knew here from the States, you know, it's like, Whoa, you guys are over here. That had actually been at Honda, but they're in the road racing department. So, yeah. and I think Kenny Roberts was over there at the time. And so, because he was running the whole Yamaha, their Yamaha deal from over there. So it was a bunch of guys I already knew from the Honda. And so it was kind of cool. It was, it was fun. It was interesting living over there. I got to tell you though. Yeah. It's like I said, back to good times. And that, that's how I felt too. Um, 
you know, I was really fed up with the politics at Honda during the 85 season. And I don't know how, how you were with that, but I'm sure you remember it have been forced to do all the Honda line stuff. That was tough for me. It was, it was and hard it, on all of us. I it, mean, it, it really cost was. us. It cost us races. I mean, a lot of the the tires and stuff that they forced us to run were just terrible. Yeah, especially on your side of it. Now, I spent most of most of that time was except for Riverside. I was all in the woods and I was on out in the desert. So, yeah. you know, my tire selection wasn't bad. We were actually we were fitted for that. But you guys, I know, got hammered. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. Hey, yeah, I can remember. Doesn't it sound like boohoo? Not really. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, guys. I am. I I just was. That was that, that was a little bit of a, a a fun with Mike because we had a conversation, um, gosh, a few months back about some of this stuff, and uh, I uh, just was like, wow, I had no idea that things like that were going on. Um, you know, most people yeah. don't. I mean, it wasn't, you know, they it wasn't like they published all the behind the scenes stuff. But like Tracy said, even in the NASCAR, he spent, you know, 20 plus years doing that. It's the same thing. You know, there's a lot of politics that go down and um, it it can take some fun out of it. I mean, I, I always when I raced, I just wanted to do my best and, and win as much as I could. But when you see, you know, some of the writing on the wall and the the items that you need to win are there, but you can't use them, it made it made it difficult for sure. Hi, this is Stephanie from JSR Moto Designs. JSR Moto Designs specializes in replacement Nerf bar nets for all makes and models that can be fully customizable to your needs. Our custom apparel can be specifically designed for your race team. We can help make what you wear personal on and off the track, including embroidered or printed hoodies, jackets, t-shirts, hats, jersey lettering, butt patches, and more. Check us out at jsrmotodesigns.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram. I think well, we found out we found out what what makes Co not go <laughs> after, after losing all those accessories and sponsorship from dg you know well, again it, it wasn't just for me again it was for tracy yeah. it was for dean anybody that in marty everybody mm -hmm. that raced hondas they had to uh they had to tell all your sponsors goodbye i and heard about some, that and i, I don't think it was, it was very hard unfair. for some i don't think it was hard as hard for some i think they were okay with it it was more of a eye-opening thing but um and to a lesser extent too i know that uh Leonard's brother ended up uh, getting the uh, Paul Turner performance line. Um, and Paul was a sharp guy. He, they had to make this stuff run. Um, but at the same token, I wasn't part of the development. And uh, the items that I was getting, my performance items, my cylinders and pipes were were cast-offs that Marty and, and those guys had already tested and, and didn't really like. And that's what my mechanic and I had to choose from. And I'd say except for one time in 85, my, my machines weren't, uh, they were just mediocre. They were not, uh, they were not as fast as I'd, I'd hoped or wanted. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, even other, other, um, you know, performance people could tell. In fact, I had a, Harry Clem came to my aid. He went, he was going to the races and he was building stuff, you know, Daryl, there was a lot of guys that were, that were at, 
performance stuff. And uh, he came to me and said, man, I can tell by listening to your bike that it's down. And he came to down to San Diego and went out to my practice place and brought a cylinder and a couple of pipes. And we went testing and right, right away, I could tell, you know, Hey, this feels like it should, you know, it feels competitive. And he, he did his best to put his little Paul Turner signature on the side of the cylinder. So it would kind of replicate because that's all we could had to be Paul Turner stuff only. And I've had his pipe and went the last, the next two nationals I won with the, with the Clem stuff. And, um, it came, they finally caught on. I think they realized that, wait a second, you know, we know what he's got. So the shit shouldn't be that good. And, um, they caught on and they found out that I was not running the Paul Turner stuff. And that of course pissed him off more. And, uh, so, <laughs> that's what i want i said look you know i'm not gonna fucking run these these uh you know mediocre parts when you know my competition stuff i mean we're maybe on par as riders but if my stuff's not as powerful as my competition that's going to make it more difficult for me but either way they you know that point put some fun in fact that was also at loretta lens I, I had his top end at loretta lens and i won the national and then the following race was at the colorado springs and i won that race i passed jimmy white on the last lap and then they they tore it apart which they'd been doing again i i could spend a whole whole episode of this uh talking about the 85 season <laughs> but it was tires it, it was all kinds of crazy stuff and um you know but still honda honda was uh winning races and i think that's the bottom line for them anyway that's pretty cool what year did you actually stop racing and after 88, when Yamaha told me that there was going to be no more salaries, no more win money, no more, you know, that they were going to bail out of it altogether. Um, in fact, Riverside, the last Riverside race was in 1988. That was my last professional race was 1988. I, I stopped in 85. Uh, Tracy, when did you stop? At the end of the 87 season. Okay. So you guys weren't there that much longer than I was, but for me, it was, it was old age and having to go back to work and that was in the, on the Monday. So that's kind of why I stopped doing it. And I did it more to promote the product and the things we sold at the dealership than I did for anything else. You know, it was just, just that, you know, it really changed a lot from the early days where it was fun and we were innovating to the later days when, you know, when it was more about riding and having the best equipment, you know, it, it changed quite a lot. So for me, um, for I, me, it was, uh, we were still going fast. We had good components. It's just that, you know, the, the income from what I was making in racing is that that was a lot of, you know, bread and butter that I had to look at is, you know, what am I going to do now for an income? I had to, even if I were to stay TVs, that significant drop off to try and, you know, have my own team or, or drum as much stuff as I could, the, um, the income was going to, you know, be significant. So I knew at that point that I was really going to have to look at some other form of uh, some other job or something. I could be more lucrative than my future in ATV race going to provide at that time. Where'd you land? Or Oh, well, you know, I had a lot of friends. I did, uh, I sold car parts 
before then, I had a, a short-time job at Foreign Auto Supply. They sold uh, European car parts. Uh, that was short-lived. And I had another friend that uh, worked in the rebar industry um, here in two, two uh, rebar manufacturing shops, one in El Cajon, one in Santee, and worked at those places for a number of years. And then um, on the side, I was working with Sam and uh, my wife's father, my father-in-law at the time, he had a career at solar turbines. And uh, one of his friends had a Ford pickup truck that uh, needed a tune-up. Um, we looked at it. We had it over, and um, the thing had an EG, a major EGR uh, valve leak, and the timing chain was so stretched out. It was a pretty high mileage Ford. The guy bought it new, and he just wanted to fix it. And so we put a timing chain in it, fixed the leak, and the guy was so impressed. He said it didn't run this good when it was new. <laughs> so, you know, it was kind of a smog era. We, we kind of advanced the cam a little bit with that little keyway deal. And um, so he, he was so happy with the way that his truck ran and he was getting ready to retire from solar. He put a good word for me in his solar and uh, solar turbines in San Diego. And that was in 1992. And uh, I got my foot in the door down there. And fortunately for me, I was in their research and development department and um, you know, the turbine engine is uh, not like a four cycle or, you know, piston engine, but they still have combustion and, and firing order and such of that nature. And that's, uh, that was the beginning of my current career and been there 29 years. I got to put another one in and um, I've got a great uh, pension and couldn't be happier. So I, like, I wish I could get out of because I know Tracy beat me to retirement, but uh, <laughs> and, uh, here I am. I'm the I'm August, the older of the three of us, and I'm I'm still working. <laughs> so, so August of 2022, I'm uh, I have my 30 years in, and uh, I'll uh, set sails and do whatever I want. At that point, I have to go back to wherever Tracy's at and shoot some uh, sporting clays because I know he's doing that thing. It looks like a lot of fun. You still got dogs? I do actually. I had um. Well, we had a, a bloodhound in the lab for years, for like 13 years, and they passed away. And then, then my daughter went to college, and that was we were empty nesters for a while. And then my wife made a deal with my daughter about something for college. And the next thing you know, now I have a nine-month-old Great Dane puppy. <laughs> I didn't get a I didn't get a dog. I got a pony. Yeah. <laughs> your dad, uh, your dad. You guys used to have Springer Spaniels, right? Yeah, he had um, he had Springers for a while. Then he had um, they call it an English Cocker, and he had those forever. In fact, um, just before he passed, I had to give his his spaniel away to somebody. It was a you know it was a good family. He just um, he, he he couldn't take care of him anymore, and so it's like all right. But then the funny part about this whole thing is he was his dementia had taken over so badly that. He ran around tell, telling everybody that I killed his dog. He told oh, me, "Oh no!" He even told him how I did it. You know, so it's just, uh, what are you going to do? He, I couldn't win no matter what I did. So it's like, but the dog went to a really nice place, so it all was good. It, well, I don't we, know if you remember at some of the races. Uh, just another big influence your dad had on me and dogs. I uh, had Cocker Spaniels for many, many years. <laughs> I used to take them to the races. I took them, the dogs were with me 24 seven, man. I love those dogs. 
Yeah, and that's my right. dad. He loved his dogs. He he always did love his dogs. Sometimes I think he loved them more than he loved us. You know, <laughs> you know what's interesting is I've got a husky that loves to just sleep in the snow, and then we've got a black lab that likes to run around in the snow. But we've also got a a paralyzed wiener dog who can't really move her back legs that well, and and we have her in a little cart, you know, with wheels on the back. And whenever we go to the dog park, people go, "Well, what happened to her?" And I I always tell them, ATV accident. <laughs> it's, oh, oh, that, that hurts, dude. That hurts. It's so true. That I, or sometimes I'll tell them, Vietnam, or just any number of things that I will come up with of why our dog doesn't walk right and she's on wheels. But uh, anyway, that's, that's our life these days. You know, living in the snow. Gentlemen, I want to thank you guys so much. Uh, this has been very entertaining for me and also educational um, because I was following you all into the industry. Um, yeah, because I am younger than all of you. Remember that. And especially you, Bam Bam. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, I really want to express to you how much fun today was for me. Um, and please, I'm extending the invitation again, like I have every time. Uh, we're going to have uh, all of you back uh, in different formats. Uh, Mike, I know you've enjoyed spending time with my dad and I really have enjoyed listening to those stories. Um, I'd like to get my dad involved in one of these chats with you guys. Um, uh, it would, it, I got to get him talking for an hour or so before, because then he'll remember all the good stories when, uh, when we're on and, and we can go yeah. from there. Mm -hmm. I actually thought he was going to be, I texted you. I thought he was going to be part of this. Well, <laughs> oh, really? I, I didn't know that Mike knew your dad. I knew your, your dad when I was 21 years old. So that, that's pretty cool. Um, I was going to have dad out, but this is, this actually was an experiment. The first time that I've ever done a group session on ATV talk. And, um, you know, I didn't really want dad to hold it over me that I'd screwed it up. So, mm. <laughs> you know, uh, he's still, he's still the master and the teacher. And, um, I think he always will be, but, uh, again, gentlemen, thank you so much. And, uh, I'll be in touch with some information that I'll need from all of you. And, um, I, I know that the industry is a better place because of you four and, and all the other guys that, uh, some of them that will be on and some of them that, that won't, but, um, this is an amazing industry and the road that you've left for all of us is pretty awesome. And, uh, Tracy, you got, you and your dad as innovators, Mike, uh, your brother and you did some great things and, and Jim, you uh, also laid some groundwork for us. And um, I know that I'm not young, like some of the kids are coming up, but the history of our sport is such an important thing. And I hope that you guys will go back and look through your photos and your memories and be ready for the next time, because uh, we're going to do this again and, and uh, talk some more racing and uh, maybe get a little uh, who was faster and who was better. and you know, <laughs> that was Mike. Mike was always better and always faster. <laughs> well, I learned I from you guys. It's a learning curve, you know, it was, um, 
I, I did. I think looking back, I probably did have some, some natural talent. Um, but you know, Tracy was racing before me, of course, Jim, you were too. And, um, you know, Dean and Mark, um, actually just let you guys know, I'm actually back in touch with Mark Waxeldorfer. We've gone on a couple motorcycle rides together. So that's pretty cool. I did cool. see that. That's I awesome. I did see that. And he's that's been working great. at the, uh, been working down at the aerospace museum for 30 plus years. That one there, uh, right across from where your shop used to be, Leonard. Really? He worked over there? He still does, right? Till oh, today. Awesome. That, that, I've never got to go in that place, but they have some cool stuff there. Yeah. Mark, Mark's, you know, he's got an incredible history, too. I mean, we all did. I mean, we all, like you said, we, we were participating in that, that era. And we've had a lot of fun, a lot of good times. And, um, you know, it's, it's really is cool to reflect and it's nice to see you, Tracy and you, Jim, too. I mean, I know Thanks. I'm like, I'm like uh, Tracy, I really don't post anything on Facebook, but I'll, I'll kind of mm-hmm. just look to see what kind of other people are doing. And if, yeah, I don't really ever post anything, but if I, if I want to speak or something, I might text or just call and, and talk directly, mm-hmm. but uh, please yeah. do. It was good. Please it was do. good hearing from all you guys. Yeah. Okay, man. It's been great seeing you too. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I haven't talked to you in 40 years, maybe. I don't know what it has been. You know, Probably. It's been a really long time. Well, gentlemen, again, thank you so much. Um, I'll get you the information when this episode's going to air. Hopefully, uh, it won't be quite so long and we'll get another. Uh, another sit down together and I'll get dad involved and um, we'll, we'll have a good time. All right. Well, thank yeah. you very much. Thank you guys very much for your time. Uh, Thanks, I know Leonard. it's all very valuable. Um, you know, when you're in the retired crowd, it's for Tracy, it's, you know, <laughs> maybe we didn't interrupt anything, but for the rest of us, we still work for a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. There you go. That's so do it. I. So do I. <laughs> it's been great talking to you guys. <laughs> All right. Nice have a lot. great day. Thanks again. Talk to you later. I'll see you guys later. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.